You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to this month's feature series, Focus on Medical Education. My guest today has written that allowing pharmaceutical companies to sponsor medical education leads to many bad things, including biased education, corrupt physicians, and ultimately harm to our patients. Let's hear what he has to say. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lent, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Daniel Carlot. Dr. Carlot is Assistant Clinical Professor of Psychiatry at Tufts University School of Medicine, as well as serving as Editor-in-Chief of the Carlot Psychiatry Report, a monthly newsletter on psychopharmacology read widely by psychiatrists and nurses in the United States. Welcome to ReachMD, Danny. Well, thanks for having me on the show, Leslie. Dr. Carlott, you've been very outspoken about the relationship that doctors have with drug companies. And of course, if there are people out there who haven't seen it, there was a big feature in the New York Times a while ago um, called Dr. Drug Rep. Tell us about that one. Well, that was an article that was about my experiences back in 2002 when I was on speakers bureaus for a couple of different pharmaceutical companies, including Wyeth and Forrest. And it was really a looking back on my experiences. And the reason I wrote it was that I felt that there were many, many sources of information out there that are derived either directly or indirectly from the pharmaceutical industry. But it's very hard to find sort of unbiased sources of information. And when I reflected back on my experiences back in 2002 seemed like that was crucial in my education about that process. That article got an amazing amount of publicity. Why don't you tell us kind of the fallout from that? There was a lot of publicity. It was the most emailed article in the New York Times in the country for about three days running, which surprised me. I think that it was kind of a perfect storm of psychiatry, which a lot of people are interested in, and uh, the pharmaceutical industry. So I got mostly positive feedback, although there was one particular website, the Wall Street Journal Health Blog, where I got just slammed over and over and over again. So I just stopped going to that site. <laughs> Good strategy. For those that didn't read, that the one or two people out there who didn't read the original article, tell us about your sort of moment of truth about taking the dirty money. Yeah, well... I was paid to talk to primary care physicians about using Effexor XR, and I would go to their offices. I would usually accompany the drug reps, and my job was really to go through a set of slides that were provided to me by Wyeth and, quite frankly, talk up their medication. And when I first thought about doing that, I thought, you know, not a big deal. Um, I you know, was a practicing psychopharmacologist. I use plenty of Effexor for patients. It certainly works. I wasn't sure it worked any better than anything else. But what I found is that there was a kind of a subtle pressure to uh, emphasize the positive aspects and to de-emphasize the negative aspects. And I recall one time when I decided to discuss some of my reservations about the Effexor versus SSRI data, and I did that at one of the primary care doctor's offices. And soon after I talked more frankly about the medication, I received a visit from one of the district managers who was concerned that I wasn't as, quote, enthusiastic about his product, unquote. And when he said that, I realized that my real value to them was not really to provide 
medical education, which is what the companies typically claim. But my value was really to serve as a kind of adjunctive drug rep. And I decided uh, I couldn't do that anymore. And I quit doing that there and then, basically. Now, in your blog, you offered to donate your time to compensate for the drug money that you were paid back in those days. I'm curious, has anybody taken you up on your willingness to counter detail? Yes, I've gotten a number of invitations to give talks in various places. I gave a talk at Lenox Hill Hospital in New York, and I gave a talk to a progressive students, medical students organization, and I have a few other things coming up. So what I'm going to do is go give these talks without charging an honorarium, and I'm also going to start calling the same offices that I visited back in 2002 and offer to come by and, and give them a what I call a counter-detailing talk, which will basically, it's not going to be a talk about saying bad things about effects, or it's going to be really about educating physicians about the influence of uh, pharmaceutical representatives, the ways that they have obvious financial incentives to bias the education that they deliver to doctors. If you're just joining our discussion, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Daniel Carlott. We are discussing his opinions about physicians and pharmaceutical companies. One of the things that I struggle with, and just for complete disclosure's sake, um, I do still give those pharmaceutical talks, although not for every company. There are some companies I won't work with because they clearly want to influence content more than I'm comfortable with. My favorite story, you'll love this, uh, medicine that we use in psychiatry that is famous for causing weight gain. The company for years did not want to talk about that. And, of course, it was difficult to give a lecture about this product without talking about weight gain because we all struggle with it in our practice. And needless to say, I didn't last very long uh, doing those lectures. Uh, you can guess which company that was. I think I can guess. <laughs> Probably your... Exactly. But I struggle with how can we get information, medical education out there that's high quality, that's timely, and that's affordable without some sort of sponsorship from people that have more money than we do. Well, it's not really that hard to get up-to-date medical information. And the way that the physicians who are sponsored to give talks get that information is by getting information from uh, research studies that are published in journals. And that was certainly the way that I received that information when I was giving talks, much of the information was from, for example, Michael Thais's famous article in the British Journal of Psychiatry, comparing effects with SSRIs, and various other articles related to that. So if you want to get information, the information is out there, and you certainly don't have to be paid by a drug company in order to learn the information or to deliver the information. But if you look at those studies, they're almost all sponsored by pharmaceutical companies. Right. And I don't advocate that we not allow drug companies to do what they need to do, which is to pay for studies to be done in order to develop drugs. I think that's fine, although you know, we do have to scrutinize the methodology of those studies closely. And there are more guidelines in place to require them to register their studies on the Internet so we know whether they're trying to hide data or not. But, you know, they're going to be sponsoring studies, and we as educators need to read those studies as well as non-sponsored studies. We need to put all the information together, and we need to be sources of unbiased information where we don't have a financial incentive to tilt the data in favor of the sponsor's product. And for me, that's the real issue, is the, is the perverse incentives that we have now in uh, medical education to change the content 
of the education. Well, you've created a wonderful resource as well called the Carlotte Psychiatry Report, or TCR, and it's absolutely one of my favorite things in psychiatry. I I have to reluctantly admit that it's the only thing that I get every month that I read cover to cover, no matter what, even if it's a topic I have no interest in, I know I'm going to learn something. And your newsletter doesn't accept any money from pharma. Uh, no, it doesn't. Thanks for that endorsement. Um, and certainly, you know, for financial disclosure, obviously, as the editor and publisher of the newsletter, I make money from it. But I guess the difference is do I have an incentive to give only partial bits of information or to sway the information from the money I receive? And so since I receive my money directly from the users, the end users of the product, the readers, my own incentive is really to create a product that my users will see as being accurate and unbiased. Which at least this user finds great value in. So do you really make any money at it, Danny? I make some money, yeah. I make... um, it really varies with the month, but I probably pay myself about $5,000 per month in salary after I pay my printing costs and web costs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, so I'm able to make something, not a huge amount, but it's, it, it's reasonable. So it's probably about minimum wage with all the time that you must put into it. <laughs> yeah, right? I, I haven't done the calculations. I think it would be too depressing <laughs> right. to find out. I once found a, a very awful feature on most of Microsoft's programs, like a PowerPoint, for example, where it'll actually track how many hours you've spent on the presentation. And I'll never look at it again because I decided I was making about 10 cents an hour. Uh, so I'd encourage you not to do that. Now, how do people find out about the Carlot Psychiatry Report? Well, there's a website, and uh, you can really most easily do it by Googling my name, Carlat, and uh, up will pop both the report, which is a continuing medical education report, and then also my blog, which is not at all unbiased. That's sort of me ranting and raving on a periodic basis about the latest pseudo-medical you know, medical education newsletter that I get uh, in my office, kind of picking apart the claims and such. It's pretty easy to find. A lot of the information actually from the newsletter is there for free, even without subscription. There are a lot of free articles, so people can kind of browse and see whether it might be of use to them. Yeah, I found it to be a tremendous time saver that, you know, many of us, myself certainly, have zero to poor background in statistics and and really being able to critically look at research studies. And you do all the heavy lifting for us. Yeah, and it's very, very complicated, as you know. I mean, uh, the January issue is about brain devices in psychiatry. I take a look at vagus nerve stimulation and transcranial magnetic stimulation. And the claims and the data seem to be at odds with one another. It takes a lot of time to sort of synthesize it, but I do my best. So how do you think the medical education system would work in an ideal world, given the fact that most of us are so pressed for time, we really don't have the time, inclination, or expertise to sift through the enormous amount of stuff that comes in our mailbox every month? Well, I think there are various models out there. I think that the essence of it is that we as physicians need to learn how to pay our own way for our education, as I think we used to do. I mean, in the past, 20 or 30 percent only of all medical education was funded by pharmaceutical companies, and now it's over half. We used to have a different way of doing it. I know that I'm the uh, co-chair of the Massachusetts Psychiatric Society's CME committee, and the MPS does not accept any pharmaceutical money for any of their CME 
courses, and we charge a modest fee for psychiatrists to come to conferences. And they're able to see, you know, world-class people give talks. They pay something for it, but it's not that much, and usually they can afford to pay it. And then, of course, there are newsletters. Mine's not the only one, but Biological Therapies and Psychiatry, Journal Watch, all of these newsletters are modest, uh, you know, about $100 a year, and you can get CME credit by reading them as well. I would certainly hope so. Well, thanks so much for being on our show today. Thanks for having me, Leslie. We've been discussing the tenuous relationship between pharmaceutical companies and physician with regard to medical education with our guest, Dr. Daniel Carlott. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments, so please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening. We thank you for listening to this month's feature series, Focus on Medical Education, exclusively on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals.